Amen. Thank you, Janet. Well, good morning. Hope you're all doing well this morning. Um, anybody get any hail uh, yesterday? <laughs> Did uh, I know my wife loved it uh, with her garden. This morning we're going to wrap up our series that we, we started six weeks ago uh, on an issue, a topic of anger and forgiveness. We've, um, we took a kind of a, a parenthesis around Ephesians chapter 4 where, where Paul is talking about anger. Remember, we started off with be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give a foothold to the devil. And we've, we've spent about six weeks uh, kind of expanding that uh, to help understand the danger, the, the way Satan uses anger in people. Uh, we've, we've, we've tried to define what anger is as far as an alert uh, from God to let us know we've been wounded or at least we've perceived that we've been wounded. And you might wonder, why are we spending so much time on this? Uh, well, it's because of this. Seven years ago when we, I guess, uh, heard God's call to, to come here and, and preach with Steve and Bill and I, what was on our heart and, and continues to be on our heart is equipping the saints here at Rimrock. What has happened here at Rimrock, what has grown up here at Rimrock, what was established here that we got to come a, alongside and be a part of, is that God is building up an awesome collection of his saints. And what our desire has been is to equip the saints here at Rimrock. And as we come across this section of Scripture, we realize in, in watching our lives, in watching lives of other people, this is a, a very, very important concept to understand because Satan does not like what's going on here. He doesn't want the saints to be equipped. He doesn't want the word to be proclaimed. And so he will use any advantage he can to derail God's purpose here, uh, not just here at Rembrandt, with all believers, with all the saints. And the easiest thing, the, the, the easiest foothold he gets is the mishandling of anger. We've talked at length about how uh, anger is a, uh, it's an alert from God to let us know of the offense. It's a, so that we'll immediately uh, acknowledge his presence. We'll immediately acknowledge the truth that he's forgiven us in that sacrifice at Calvary that we may in turn, now filled with his spirit, forgive others for their offense. And that is our calling. Our calling is to bear the image of God, to be an ambassador of his truth. And so we get to do that 
on a daily basis every time we're offended. Now, it's not just when we get offended do we get to declare God's message, but that seems to be the hardest thing, the hardest thing in life for us to declare God's message because we don't always want people to be forgiven. We want people to acknowledge their offense. We want people to pay for their offense. And God understands that. That's why he spends so much time through the Apostle Paul equipping the saints with the ability to understand and to actually do forgiveness. It's what keeps us on track. So that's why we've spent so much time. Part of the reason, too, is because we watch what you do. We, we are so excited about what God is doing through you in, in our community. We know your involvement in, in parachurch ministries. We know your involvement in this ministry. We know your involvement in your businesses, in your, your neighborhoods, in your homes. And we're excited for what God is doing, and we want to make sure we don't give Satan an advantage. We don't want him to, we don't want him to derail what you're doing. So that's why we've spent so much time on this topic. Today we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time just looking at what happens if we don't do it right. We're going to use a, a, a well-known figure from Scripture and walk through his life a little bit and look at some times in his life where the mishandling of anger cost him dearly. But I want to first take you to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's our desire is that we would take from the Word of God the Scriptures breathed by His Spirit, many of them spoken through the Apostle Paul, that's who we're studying in this study, that we would take these Scriptures and be equipped by them so that we would be adequate, we would be equipped for, for our lives, for what God has called us to do. In Romans 15, verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to look at Moses. We're going to take a look at, at what God has uh, taught us through him. We know Moses was a, uh, he's a, he's a pinnacle. He's a, he's a, a tremendous man of God, used mightily of God. The New Testament authors speak highly of him as much as the Old Testament authors did. Moses was, is, is, the, is the guy, okay? Used of God mightily. But he was also tripped up often. And what tripped him up is his inability to handle anger correctly. 
In James chapter 1, it says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. This is something that God teaches us through Moses, through his experiences, through uh, the way he handled some things in his life. So if you want to flip back in your Bible to uh, Exodus chapter 2, we're going to take a look at what I'm talking about here. Moses, keep in mind, was a man, uh, he was a Hebrew, who was with his, he was born in, in bondage. The Hebrews were uh, imprisoned, enslaved by the Egyptians, had been for over 300 years, closing in on 400 years. When Moses was born, he was placed in the river. He was uh, snatched out of the river and uh, by an act of, uh, of God's uh, doing. And Moses grew up in the household of the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Moses was in position A to help his people. He was treated as a son. He, was, he had the authority of a son. He was a Hebrew in position to help his people. But Moses took an issue into his own hands and it ruined that, at least for the moment. A Hebrew in position to help the Hebrews. He messed it up. If you look in chapter 2 of Exodus, it says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he, he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. Moses saw what was happening, the mistreatment of one of his Hebrew brethren, and he took matters into his own hands. He decided what vengeance should produce. He decided what was due. He took matters into his own hands, and he killed the Egyptian. And what it cost him was coming. What it cost him was a great deal. The first thing we see, it cost him his reputation. He didn't, here's two Hebrews the next day, arguing with one another, fighting with each other, and they show no respect. They say, who are you to judge us? We don't, what are you going to do to us, what you did to him? You know, it cost him his reputation among his own people. When we handle unforgiveness, when we handle anger according to what we think is right, it costs us our reputation among our brethren. We begin to wonder 
about the maturity. We began to wonder about, about the, uh, the purpose. We began to wonder about the, you know, the, uh, the reputation, the, the character of the person. It costs us our reputation. But go on in the story, and you'll see it cost him much more. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, he was angry. He was going to execute judgment. Moses knew that. He went from position A to position zero, Z, beyond. He had no position anymore. He was now fleeing for, for his life. He became, as we know from the rest of the story, he became a shepherd out in the wilderness, in exile from where he had fallen. So often when we do vengeance, when we don't handle anger correctly, we lose our position. We lose our position as far as our testimony goes. We lose our position sometimes in a, in a job setting. We lose our position at times as a husband or a wife or as, a, or as, as an authority of respect to our children. We lose our position as Moses did. If you look a little further, if you go into uh, Exodus uh, chapter 32, you're going to see something else that Moses taught us. If you look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 15, you're going to see something else that anger tends to cause us. It costs us extra work. Have you ever noticed that in your life when you... Uh, when you respond out of anger, you break something. You mess something up that you have to go. You maybe, you maybe you physically break something. I know I've had, back in my younger days, I, I, I paid for some sheetrock uh, to be repaired. Uh, I, I paid for dents to be removed. Um, different things that happened as I responded, as I reacted out of anger. And it ended up costing me extra work. And here in Moses' life, we find in, in uh, verse 15 of 32, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets. Now remember where he's at at this point. He had just received on Mount Sinai, he had just received the Ten Commandments from God. And while he was up there, God told him about what was going on down below. Remember, the people had made a, a golden calf and were now worshiping and dancing around this golden calf. And so God says, you, you need to get down there. So Moses does. It says... Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work. 
and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. God had written, God had cut out, God had written the Ten Commandments, and not just the Ten Commandments, the commandments. He had written them out. And Moses came down and he saw what was happening. His anger burned and he threw these tablets down, destroying the work that God had done. God had written these with his own finger. God had done this himself. Flip over to Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. God has called Moses back up. says, we got to redo this. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words which were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up, to the mount, come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. Now Moses is hiking back up the mountain with two stone tablets. More work more labor. He had come down the mountain with two stone tablets. It's a whole lot easier than going up. Now it's costing Moses the sweat of his brow. It's costing him something. And it goes on to say this. In verse 27, if you flip over just a little further, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Did you catch that? Who wrote the first ones? God. Who wrote the second ones? Moses. 40 days it took him. Have you ever noticed that in your life? When you respond out of anger, you got more work. You have, you, it just costs you time, it costs you effort, it generally costs you the sweat of your brow, and oftentimes you can't duplicate what you messed up. You can't go back and have it be as good as it was before. That's what anger can do. Remember, anger is, 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 a, is a good thing to motivate us to do a good thing. Walk in the Spirit of God. But if we let the enemy use anger to motivate us to lean on our own understanding, it is always going to mess something up. 
always. And it's going to cost us. Loss of reputation, loss of position, extra work. Moses had it all. Now flip back in your Bible to Exodus 17. We're going to look at another example. In Exodus 17, now this is when they first had come out. Remember the people were, our God is good, our God is great, we'll do anything he asks, you know, we'll keep it, we'll, we'll you know, our God's awesome. He, he was able to, to destroy the Egyptians, he was able to set us free, you know, he parted the seas that we could walk across, and we'll do whatever he asks. And then they got a little ways into the wilderness and they got thirsty. And do you remember what happened? Oh, weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to bury us in the sand? They're grumbling. They're grumbling against God. They're grumbling against Moses because they're, they're thinking, hey, this is, uh, th is Moses' plan. But look at verse 17, or, or chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said give us water that we may drink and Moses said why do you quarrel with me why do you test the Lord it says that the people grumbled now look down here at verse 5 then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now keep in mind what God is doing here. This is a picture that he's painting. Remember, we've talked about this before. You've heard me say it many times, probably too many. But remember, these are people who don't have the Spirit of God. These people are not Christians. They're not inspired. They're not enlightened. They're, they don't have the Spirit of God to illuminate truth to them. So God is teaching them with physical pictures. This is one of those pictures. They're out now in the wilderness being brought out from bondage. And they thirst. They're going to perish physically if they don't have water. A life necessity. They're grumbling. And God tells Moses to take the staff which he has given him and to strike the rock. The rock is a representation of Christ. Remember, Jesus is the rock. Jesus is whom the fountain of living water flows. Jesus is the one who had to be stricken in order for this life to flow out to those who needed life. This is a picture of the first covenant. This is a picture of, of, of man's need being responded to and, and answered with by God. The rock represents Christ in his crucifixion, being stricken once for all. So Moses does it. And out of the rock flows the water, a physical picture of a spiritual truth. 
Now look what Moses does next. Flip to Numbers, a couple books back, or a couple books toward the back. Numbers chapter 20. What's happened here at this stage of the story is there's been a lot of time elapsed since the striking of the rock. There's been a lot go on, but they're still in the wilderness. They haven't gone anywhere. But something has just happened. Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, has just died. They're tired. It's been frustrating. They've seen great things, but they're out in the wilderness. They're struggling. And now Miriam dies. So here's Moses, hot, frustrated, surrounded by grumbling people, people who God quite honestly wanted to start over with, you know, to strike them down when they were worshiping the golden calf. And Moses said, no, please, don't do that. They were an obstinate people. And Moses is frustrated. And he's grieving. And I want to, I want to point that out because God's principle, God's truth about forgiveness is not contingent on our circumstances. God's big enough to do what he wants done through us regardless of what's going on in our world, regardless of how we feel, regardless of the situation or the circumstance we're in. That's when we're weak. Moses is frustrated, he's tired, and he's grieving. Still, no excuse to do the wrong thing. But he does the wrong thing. There was no water for the congregation again. They assembled themselves against Moses and against Aaron. Look over here at verse 8. God says, here's what you do. Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And the water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. You see what happened there? God's painting a picture, and Moses just messed it up. The rock, representative of Christ, needs to be stricken but once. There therefore now remains no sacrifice necessary for the forgiveness of sin. The death he died, he died once for all. It is finished, he proclaimed. But what did Moses do? He was supposed to speak to the rock, a beautiful picture of the new covenant, 
the covenant of relationship, the covenant of, of reconciliation, the covenant declaring restoration of mankind back to his original design, being indwelt by the Spirit of God now with whom he can hear and talk to freely. Moses struck the rock, and he messed up God's picture. Jesus only had to be crucified once. And you sometimes look at this story and you think, wow, that's kind of harsh. I mean, here this guy is, you know, he's been faithful most of the time. You know, yeah, I mean, he's, he's struggled at times, but man, people struggle. Yeah, he's, 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 he's got a lot on his shoulders and the people are always grumbling against him. You know, God, couldn't you cut him a little bit of a break? Why did he got, not get to go into the promised land? You'd think, oh, after all his labor, wouldn't, why, why doesn't he get a crossover? That seems so, so strict, so harsh. But what he did was he destroyed the whole purpose of the thing, the picture being painted for us, the picture being painted for the people who were going to come after him, the picture of the two covenants, the difference between what it was like before the rock was stricken, Christ, and what it's like after. And it's very important we understand what it's like after the crucifixion because the veil has been torn the the separation between us and God sin has been dealt with we're now in a relationship with God so that we can carry out a true picture of Christ we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is our reasonable service of worship we're ambassadors of the Most High God Brothers and sisters, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God to do what God put man on the planet to do in the first place, and that is to bear his image, to give the lost world, to give the thirsty world a picture of hope, a picture of love, a picture of reality, a picture of truth. Anger caused Moses his mishandling of the anger caused Moses to mess up that picture. And brothers and sisters, it will mess us up in the same way. If we don't use anger correctly as an alert, if we use it as a motivation, if we react out of anger rather than act by faith, we're going to give a distorted picture of Christ. We're going to mess up God's picture, the work he's begun in us, that he said he would be faithful to complete. The picture is important because the picture is Christ. He's given us his spirit, a spirit of self-control. He's developing that, and you know how it gets developed? Through, the, through perseverance. It gets developed through practice. If you're wanting people to quit messing with your life, well, it's not ever going to happen. But if you want it to quit bothering you so much, learn forgiveness. Learn forgiveness. Because all of a sudden, you're given opportunity after opportunity to do things right. 
But if you do things wrong, you keep getting the opportunity and opportunity to get it right. But in the meantime, it messes up your life. It derails you. You get focused on the offender and your, your mode of vengeance, what you think is right, and it just messes up your life. And you know what? It's painting a picture, a wrong picture, of a Christian, of someone who is Christ-like. Remember in Ephesians it says we're to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. It's putting your life on pause. It's putting a blanket over the face of Christ revealed through you. That's why we've spent so much time on this. That's why, the, I mean, I know it for my own life, Steve and Bill for theirs. That's why we've spent so much time is because we know this is the number one tool that Satan has to mess you and us up, to derail us from our purpose. All these things that you guys are involved in, all these ways God is lighting up the world through you, Satan hates. He wants a bushel basket put over that so that the light doesn't shine and give light to those who are around. He does that primarily through unresolved anger, unforgiveness. That just gives him a foothold to do all kinds of things. That's why we spent so much time is because we love you guys. We love what Christ is doing through you. We love the, the word that we get from other people, the things that we see, the way the hands of God are reaching out through your hands. We also know whenever that happens, Satan hates it. So he's going to try to stop it. Don't give him a chance. Don't give him a foothold. Learn forgiveness and learn it well. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 through 3, You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You're God's letter. You're his testimony. Don't let Satan mess it up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your instruction that you give us. Thank you for the examples that you give us. Father, we want to be examples. We want to be testimonies. We want to we be people of victory. And so, Father, I pray for all of us here you know, that we would just be mindful of the ways, the, the schemes of the evil one that it, in his effort to try to keep us from fulfilling your purpose. So, Father, as, we, as Steve comes now to celebrate, uh, to lead us in celebrating communion, Father, we just ask that this beautiful picture that you've given us of, of communion, your life now in our life, giving life to us so that fountains of living water can th flow from you through us to people who need it. Father, I just pray that we would just take that to heart, that we would recognize we are a people of purpose, your purpose.
And we thank you for the privilege of being your ambassadors. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pat. Uh, we are uh, celebrating. You want those? Um, this one, too. All right. You got it, man. We are celebrating. Uh, I'll keep that. Uh, a couple, we have two ordinances in our church. One is baptism, which we celebrated last week. Those of you who are here, it was incredible to go onto the creek and just see uh, that new life, that incredible picture of what God does, taking someone who's lost and dead and bringing to life and giving life. And this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. So if those uh, elders and ushers who would help uh, would please come forward. And we invite you this time to really just stop and consider, to stop and consider what God has done for you. To stop and consider the fact that he has shed his blood. He has had his body broken so that each of us could be in a relationship with him. So we invite you to join us. We will pass out the elements, take a, a cup and some bread, and we'll just hold them together to celebrate. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of his family, uh, you're part of this family, and we encourage you to... Uh, to partake if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior or if you don't know let this be a, a time as Janet sings uh, to come to the cross and really pour out your heart before the incredible God of the universe okay thanks mm -hmm.